I'm going to be shouting above the din of my Rice Krispies today as I talk about my all-time favorite police song, Synchronicity 2. Guitar feedback at the beginning of this song actually has a, a little bit of an interesting story to it. Evidently, Andy Summer, when they went in to record this, they just told him, make some noise with your guitar. But he wasn't in the room with his amps. He was in a control room. And uh, he had no idea. He couldn't hear what was coming out of his guitar at the time. And so he's just kind of sitting there goofing around, wondering when they were going to hit record and tell him to start playing. And meanwhile, he had already done what he was going to do. And uh, they were recording it. And so uh, that kind of noise was made blindly, if you will. And it's so perfect for the beginning of this track. It really sets you into the, the correct mood, that along with that cool kind of spooky keyboard bit that's coming in just before the drums kick in and start giving us that drive. structure of this song is definitely not typical uh, as is pretty common on this show. Evidently, I had no idea that I like so many songs that don't follow a typical ABAB kind of pattern. But basically, the song has five kind of short parts that play in succession, and then they, they loop through those five parts three times. The only exception is that in the middle section, they drop the first part, so you don't do the introduction in the middle one. But it's basically just a loop through three times of, of these five parts. The third time around, they extend a few bits as well, but that's basically it. And then at the end of the song, after you've looped through the, the five parts three times, there's one last part that just kind of fades off as its own kind of outro. So as a result of that, you don't really have a chorus in this song. You don't have a particular part that you're going to walk away humming, although this song has a really catchy melody and there's there's plenty of things to remember about it. It's an extremely memorable song. It's definitely not your typical pop song in that regard. And I, that's, again, one of the many reasons probably why I'm drawn to this. So to talk a little more about this introduction, this first part of the five, it serves a really important purpose. You know, we, we come out of this feedback kind of introduction with the drum beat kicking in and with Sting kind of pedaling this eighth note. And that really establishes the drive of this song. This song has a very rock and roll eighth note pulse and it's constant and is there for the entire song. And yet this beginning bit, if you're listening to it very carefully, particularly if you're listening to the drums on this, the eighth notes aren't as pronounced as you might think they are. There's so much subtlety in the way Stuart Copeland plays the drums in this track. Uh, he's one of the all-time masters of the hi-hat right? and, then, and the ride. The way he plays uh, hi-hats and rides with his, with his right hand is so subtly, incredibly dynamic. It's the kind of thing that you just don't hear in modern recordings. It's not that drummers don't have that kind of dynamic ability anymore. It's just that modern recording techniques basically, usually with drums nowadays, kind of just take whatever's being played on the hi-hat or, you know, all the drums. They run it through a sampler, but then they they quantize it and they, they basically rip out most of the dynamics, either through compression or through just literally taking the MIDI of the track and and flattening it out. So you get less dynamics, uh, all in the, in the service of having this perfectly hit beat. And uh, to me, that's kind of a loss, uh, unfortunately, because when you have a player like this with Stuart Copeland and you listen to this recording, or even the even the remastered version of it, you can really hear, you know, he's hitting those notes so subtly in some cases that you're not even hearing the eighth notes. You're only hearing his quarter notes. And in, in particularly in that opening beat, you can kind of hear they're there, but they're so subtle and so barely there that it's implying something and your brain kind of just fills in the gap. You know, Sting is pedaling the eighth notes. And so that drive is there. It's established there in the bass. You don't really need it to be so precisely kicked into your face in the drum part as well. And so it's not. And it's just something that you hear in these older recordings that you don't get as much in modern recordings. And I think that's kind of a shame, really.
And what that allows Stuart Copeland to do here is to emphasize certain beats over others. And so even though he has the drive coming through and, and he's definitely playing with that intensity, uh, he's able to accent, in particular when he opens the hi-hat on those last two guitar hits in each phrase, he's able to accent those beats in the right way. And it's, it's all because of that dynamic relationship going on. And later on in the song, you'll hear that Sting isn't always pedaling. Like there's several parts of the song where he's not playing eighth notes at all. And yet that drive is still there, even though no one is really playing it at that point. No one is driving the full eighth note pulse in several different pieces of, of this track. It's still there and your brain just fills in the gaps and basically makes that, that drive keep happening. So we come out of the intro and we get into our first kind of verse part two of the, of the five-part structure. And obviously this really strong melody from Sting, he's got this incredible voice and an incredible range. This song is pretty difficult to sing if you've ever tried to sing it, good luck. It definitely has a wide range from low notes all the way up into high notes. And this verse in particular, pretty, pretty high range of interval there. So you're jumping from a pretty low note all the way up into a high note pretty fast in the phrase. And the other part that I really enjoy listening to is the way the guitar and bass are interplaying with each other in this part. So you basically are getting a unison for the first couple of phrases there. They're basically just doing an octave of an A to a high A and then a C sharp to a high A. And then they play the turnaround of the phrase, the two of them harmonize each other. And so while you've got Andy Summers there playing the main lead there, he's playing the B to A, B to A, you got Sting playing G to D which is a cool little harmony there. So they're not playing chords. It's odd, believe it or not, this verse, this, this second part of the structure is, is actually a major. It's, a, it's an, a, ma- a major chord, but you don't think of this song as being in major by any stretch of the imagination. So it's not a happy tune, uh, as we'll find out when we talk about the lyrics in a minute. But because they're playing single notes, they're not really playing full chords here. You kind of, you know, that, that gap, that hole in there, it leaves out a little bit of that, what would be kind of a more pleasant, happier sound of the song. So by playing these single notes, you're getting uh, kind of a different tonality than you would normally get. And, and definitely by harmonizing uh, between the bass and guitar, you're getting some cool tonality as well. third part of the sequence after we get through that first little verse bit is also interesting because now the bass is kind of staying on the A note. He's not pedaling eighth notes anymore, uh, but he is he's kind of suspending over a bass note of A over different chords on the guitar. So the guitar is ascending and descending in chords. It is uh, very much echoing what's happening in the vocal melody, but at the same time, the bass is staying on A that whole time. And so the bass stays stationary, the guitar is moving. So there's different bits in this song where you'll have this kind of contrast going on between the bass and guitar part, and it's fascinating. It's really cool to listen to. The interesting part about this guitar ascending and descending is it's starting on the third there with the A with the C sharp, and then it goes up to the D, and then it goes up to the E flat, which is the flat five. And that flat five sound is what really is kind of creating this dissonance here, is creating this not quite major kind of tone to the to the part of the song, giving it more of an anxious feel, which I really like. The fourth part of the structure, we get D minor. And so there again, we're pedaling this bass note of a D instead of the A, but the, the chords are, are definitely based around D minor here on the guitar. And kind of Andy Summers is picking up the eighth notes kind of bit. And he's, he's basically doing arpeggios of that D minor structure. In that D minor section in the fourth bit as well, we get the drums and bass returning to an eighth note drive. And so we're getting that pick back up after a brief respite from the pure adrenaline drive. We get a little bit more of that coming back into this part. 
Then the final fifth bar of the sequence is the dissension from the A minor down into the E, the many miles away bit, if you will. And the guitar is still doing nice arpeggios there, but it's kind of a softer and, and it's kind of a, a pulled back a little bit section. Uh, it's, it's less dramatic than the intro and the other bits. Uh, so it's kind of a come down at the end of the phrase, which is sort of a motif going on here that, that we, we're getting to the realization, the, the bit of the, the synchronicity, if you will, the idea of this Loch Ness Monster. Uh, we'll talk more about the lyrics in a second, but he He's, he's conjuring an image here of the, of the Loch Ness Monster off many miles away in the distance and kind of the synchronicity of this impending doom, comparing that to the doom of this person's life, the kind of perfect little suburban life that he's uh, carved out for himself, which has turned out to be not so great as he had planned it to be. So like I said, once you get through the five parts, you're basically back into part two in the second sequence. They, they cut the intro. They don't do the F-sharp minor parts. They go straight to the A into another verse, and they play through the sections again. And then once that phrase is over, we get to what would normally be kind of thought of as a guitar solo, but there really isn't any guitar solo here. They just literally play the intro only without the vocals. In live recordings of this, if you ever watch the police do this live, there's a couple of YouTube videos of them out there playing it. He actually sings the vocal part in this section, but it's, it was a really interesting and I thought a cool choice here where you would normally, coming back into this intro, would have been a, a typical spot for a guitar player to do a solo. Uh, Andy Summer doesn't do that, and we end up with just kind of having the intro play, and it's kind of eight bars of just drive again, and it's sort of like well, we're back here, and we're not really doing anything particular with it, but it, it was actually an inspired choice, I thought. We're not trying to add anything extra to the song. We're just coming back through another loop through our sequence. talk that much about lyrics on this show yet, and I really should. I definitely have to when it comes to this song. Sting is a master lyricist. The, the words he's come up with over the years to his own songs and all the police songs as well are particularly inspired. And uh, so this song is kind of evoking this concept of synchronicity, which if you're not familiar with it, is a Carl Jung concept that two different things can share a meaning, even if they aren't caused by one another or have nothing in common necessarily. Uh, you can have these two things that are in synchronicity when they, they kind of uh, imply or mean the same thing, even though they are completely unrelated. And so in the song, what he's conjuring is this suburban family life, right? This man who is kind of in a dead-end job. He's got a family he's not all that happy about, and he, he just commutes into work, and he walks through picket lines, basically, and doesn't even notice, cut off from the world, not really, he's in his own little bubble, not really paying attention to much of anything, and his life is not basically as he pictured it. And this is the early 80s. This, this song would have come out in 1983, and it was kind of a time, you know, I, I've mentioned 80s nostalgia before in the show, and the reason why I'm not very very fond of 80s nostalgia. I lived through the 80s, and my whole take on the 80s is that it really wasn't as great a time as people seem to want to remember it. They want to remember this fond kind of memories. The 80s were really a, a kind of a, a nasty time in the world, right? In many ways, economies were not doing well for poor people. There was lots of inequality in the world. People were struggling with uh, materialism. The Cold War was, was at its peak. There was constant fear of war and of nuclear holocaust. And so people buried themselves in, in the material 
And the, the big dream, so to speak, was the best you could hope for was this kind of retreat out into the suburbs where you could uh, you can commute to work every day and then uh, you know have your nice family life with a white picket fence. And I think what Sting is kind of implying here is that that dream is not really working out for the, for the most part. And uh, to the credit of the 90s, I think that became a very stark and in our faces. And, and music and art of the 90s, early 90s in particular, really brought that to a head and basically said, like, we're kidding ourselves. We've been kidding ourselves. And I think it's interesting interesting now in, in the 2019, I think we're kind of coming back around to that. And maybe that's why the, the 80s are still around in our minds. A lot of people who grew up in that time period want to remember that as a good thing. And they want to get back to this time that really wasn't all that great. And so this song, I think, if, if anything, is as relevant as it's ever been. Some of the craftsmanship, though, in Sting's lyrics here are just borderlines on darn good poetry, basically, when it comes down to. Uh, when he's, He has lines like, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the song, shout above the din of our Rice Krispies. I mean, they just have an incredible oral ring to them. They're just meant to be sung. Uh, and, you know, he's invoking the Rice Krispies again, this materialistic world, the snap, crackle, and pop, if you will, the noise going on in our lives and constant, you know, we're constantly surrounded by noise. And again, if anything, this is a problem that's been even more exasperated as time goes on and makes this song even more relevant today. And where can you go where you're, when you can even hear yourself think, right? And uh, so this this person, our protagonist in this song, you know, the family is there and making all this noise and he basically can't even get a, a thought out of his head. Can't wait to escape to get out of, of his house and move on to work. And then, of course, he gets to work and things are just as bad there, right? The factory is belching filth into the sky, right? So we have pollution, which another was another big concern in the 80s, uh, industrialization had really done damage to the climate. Again, an issue that's come up to a head more so now than even then. The protagonist here is walking through picket lines uh, and he doesn't even think to wonder why. He's not even wondering why there's labor disputes. Uh, there were actually lots of labor disputes going on in England and during this time period. That's what Sting's referring to here. The unions were being broken down. Uh, they were losing their power. And obviously, again, we've seen the results of that in our modern society, that unions are all but gone uh, in most industries. Uh, most of us white-collar workers now are basically Basically, not we have no power over the boss anymore, and this is the reason why people gave that up for a little bigger, uh, you know, slightly nicer house in the suburbs. We were willing to step on our brothers, in other words, and, and move past those picket lines. I love how even though this worker is crossed over the picket lines and in some ways, you know, is is working despite other people's suffering, he doesn't get any one up on this. He doesn't get any power over that. You know, if anything, he has to walk in and every encounter with his boss is a humiliating kick in the crotch, as he says. He's not gaining anything by screwing over people who are protesting, the people who are on strike. Again, this whole song is about that illusion that you can do better for yourself. You can create a world for yourself that's bigger than yourself, uh, that, that your selfishness and your greed uh, will actually lead to anything good.
as he's bringing up these images, you're getting a picture of this life of this person who is not in any way happy, and uh, he's not alone. He's going his commute home in the third verse, packed like lemmings into shiny metal boxes, contestants in a suicidal race. People are just on their way to get back to a place of home that he doesn't even want to be there. He's Everything about his life is basically on rails. He has no control over his fates. So at the end of each of these verses, in our, in our fifth part, he keeps conjuring this image of the monster, right, if you will, the, uh, the something crawling from the slime at the bottom of the dark Scottish lock. And so he's obviously referring to the Loch Ness Monster there, but I think it's more metaphorical. He's not literally talking about the monster here. He's talking about an impending doom, an impending darkness uh, coming over society. So it's interesting if you look at the three different verses. This thing is very good at this. A lot of lyricists are pretty lazy, frankly. And when they get to a chorus, they basically just repeat the chorus three times. They wrote it once and they're happy with it and they just do it exactly the same way. What Sting has a tendency to do when something in the lyrics have, has changed or shifted, he'll shift the lyrics as well to accommodate that. Uh, and so we start with this thing, this creature is, is crawling from the slime at the bottom of the lake in the first verse. And the second one, he's crawling to the surface. And then in the third one, we finally get a shadow in the door of the cottage. So this doom is getting closer and closer to us each time, uh, basically. And so you know, the signs are all there and we're, we're getting closer to this disaster rather than it's just being there and not moving at all. It's, it's actually an impending doom that is getting closer to us, even though, as he repeats at the end, many miles away, it's not as far away as we'd all like to think that this is, is on its way very soon. And again, I, I do think this song is extraordinarily relevant today uh, for, for all these reasons. Uh, I think of anything, all of these fears and all of these frustrations that artists were expressing in the 80s are only more strong today, given the progression of everything, you know, politically and environmentally and all that over the last 20 some odd years since the song was written. do love in that final third loop around how we get a little bit of an extension of certain parts of the song, that little instrumental kicking in between the parts uh, four and five. Uh, we get a repeat there of the guitar uh, and we, at the very end as well, uh, the extension there of the many miles away part when he says the shadow on the door of the cottage on the shore. So we get an extra line of poetry there, an extra line, an extra few measures, uh, and that little extension there is is a nice musical touch. Again, it's it's not lazy writing. It's extraordinarily difficult to do these kinds of things well and to craft them well. And the police are just always good at this kind of thing. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bands, of course, just a huge fan. They're a power trio you know, for all the reasons that I like these kinds of bands. The police are just up there in the pantheon of great rock and, and pop music for me. And I really love all three of these musicians. It's, it's really cool. There's less going on in this song than you might think. If you listen to it carefully, it's really well produced, but you know, there's a little bit of keyboards being sprinkled around there. But for the most part, it's just guitar, bass, and drums. And a guitar is kind of clean sounding. Andy Summers always had that kind of clean chorus sound, that very 80s uh, guitar sound. It's, it's not heavily distorted. And so we're getting a kind of a purity in, in the sound. You can hear every note of everything is being playing, so much so that, like I said, if you're listening really carefully in headphones, you can hear how subtle Stuart Copeland's eighth notes are on his hi-hats and on his ride and, and the accents and where he's putting them uh, because there isn't a whole lot of layers here. There aren't, there aren't many layers. One of the mistakes that I make often when I'm recording music and when a lot of people do uh, when they're producing songs is they just keep piling on and piling on more and more stuff, right? And you're trying to fill things in and fill in these holes. 
And it's a great reminder to take a song like this and sit back and say, look, just how little is going on for most of the song. Like I said, the, the eighth note pulse is there, even though it's not always there. there the, even though not every, no one is out there actually specifically playing that drive all the time, it's still implied and your mind gets that feel anyway. And it allows the different instrumentalists in the song to breathe. Uh, it gives more room for the vocals to shine. Uh, it's just a really great lesson in how to write a great song. And so as you're listening through this, I, I could listen to this song every day for the rest of my life and never, ever get bored of it. But you, know, you start to hear those kinds of subtleties and, and how masterfully done this is. <laughs> the ending of the song, of course, uh, because as so many endings that I like, it doesn't resolve into anything good by any stretch of the imagination. It kind of leaves you hanging with this just many miles away. He's, he's playing the E to D, E to D, and it just kind of lets it hang on that, uh, and it fades out into a complete lack of resolution on this. And when you have impending doom, you know, <laughs> that's, there isn't going to be a happy ending, right? Sorry. Uh, and so even a song that's technically in A major is not ending on a happy note by any stretch of the imagination. And again, I thought that was a brave choice and interesting way to end the tune uh, and leave you wanting more. If anything, you're you're walking away just humming that many miles away melody and uh, just wishing that the song were longer. It's it's only four minutes or so uh, in the song in total, but I could listen to them jam on this song for 25 minutes if they wanted to. It's so good. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Weekly Listen. Subscribe to the show via Apple's iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts iTunes ratings are always helpful too, so I'd appreciate it if you'd share the show with your friends. Apple Music and Spotify links to today's track can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash theweeklylisten and become a patron. Your support will go a long way to helping me keep the show going. Speaking of support, I want to give a shout out to my executive producers on this episode, Alec and Kevin. Thank you. You help make this show possible. If you want to learn more about how you could become an executive producer on the show, go to patreon.com slash theweeklylisten. If you have any comments, suggestions, or you just want to chat with fellow listeners about the music, you can reach out on micro.blog at The Weekly Listen. I encourage everyone to join the conversation. Thanks, and we'll be back next week with more music. Music